Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Tuesday, November the 30th, and next hour we study the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and put on our Christ goggles with Song of Songs, Chapter 6. And thank you for tuning us in, because we are on KFUO, worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. And today, as we look at Song of Songs, Chapter 6, it's another, it's more of the same, where it's back and forth, others said, she said, and he said. It's language that I think often we maybe should use as husbands to our wives, wives to their husbands, and those who are trying to support marriage, that they're able to speak and uplift each other in that marriage unity that the Lord has given to us. But obviously, we also see Christ. We see his love for the church, how he sees the church, and what he has done for the church. So today, we, as we look at this, we put on those Christ goggles and we celebrate this Advent season for the gifts are ready, ready for you. And today is Giving Tuesday. I've been here on KFUO for almost 11 months, and what a joy it is to serve in this capacity. And I'm amazed at the emails, the text, and other collaboration I've received around the world. To this point, I've received seven emails from different countries, received from almost every state in the United States, from Canada and from Mexico and other places. All of this from people who are hearing the word of God continuously on KFUO. To support the proclamation of Christ and the world here on KFUO, go to KFUO.org and click on the donate button. Or you can even text, which is really cool. I've done that before. Text KFUO to the number 41444. Text KFUO to the number 41444. So that the truth of God's word may continue to be proclaimed around the world. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Alan Buss, District President of the Northern Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Buss, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Pastor. It's great to be here. It's an honor to be asked. Uh, absolutely. And, and this is fun. A couple of months ago is when I asked you and, and then you called me or you talked to me and you said, hey, are you going to invite me on or not? I've been waiting by the phone. So you've been waiting <laughs> by the phone for a few months? Yes, district presidents have nothing else to do but wait for you. <laughs> so on, on that note, President Buss, uh, you are my first district president on the program in 11 months. So congratulations to be here on Thy well, Strong Word as a district president. What an honor. What an honor. And first of all, every district president is a pastor. So and I know there you have you a go. lot of pastors on it. Absolutely. So, so Pastor, tell us about yourself, your family, the, the, and then tell us what a district president does. But first, introduce yourself and your family. Yeah, my name is Alan Buss. I grew up in Watertown, Wisconsin. And uh, during my college years, I met my wife, Marie, and uh, we have four children, 28 through uh, 22. And uh, my wife is a Lutheran grade school teacher at uh, Rockford Lutheran Academy in Rockford. And uh, I graduated from Concordia Seminary in Fort Wayne in 1990. My first call was to Gilberts, Illinois. Spent the last 17 and a half years in uh, Belvedere, Illinois, as senior pastor. And uh, then uh, the Lord and the church asked me to serve as uh, district president in 2018. So it's uh, been an interesting ride with COVID and uh, everything else that's been going on in the world and the church. So, so tell me this, I believe you've been a fire chaplain, a, a fire department chaplain, or what has been your other vocation? What I always see it online. So is it, isn't it a fire department <laughs> chaplain? Yeah, yeah. So I encourage our pastors not only to, to serve their flock, of course, but also to be involved in the, in the community 
And one of the ways that I have had been uh, involved in my community, both in Gilbert, Illinois, and now in Belvedere, is to be the fire department chaplain. And sometimes you get called out for crises, and sometimes you just uh, connect with the firefighters and uh, walk with them through the joys and sorrows of life. And uh, many of the uh, firefighters are uh, loosely connected to the church or not connected to the church and gives me the opportunity to help interpret them, their lives in the basis of God's Word and encourage them to uh, uh, be connected to a Bible-believing, Christ-confessing church. So it's been a great honor, and uh, uh, usually uh, that really comes from not the crises, but just as I did yesterday, stop by the fire station to uh, meet and greet. Well, a reminder to you, our listeners, what a great opportunity for us to pray for our fire department as the men and women serve in such a sacrificial way for our communities, often volunteer basis. And so continue to pray for them and pray for faithful chaplains to serve them as well. So, Pastor, we're here to be in the Word of God as you bring it in your vocation and uh, and among your people this Advent season. So can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you have loved us most perfectly in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Advent King. Prepare our hearts for Christmas. Prepare our hearts also for his final return as we would endure to the end only because Jesus has endured for us. And thank you for coming to us in word and sacrament. And may your Holy Spirit accompany the study of your word here this morning. We also uh, thank you for uh, the program, Thy Strong Word, to dig deeply into the word. And we also do pray for our firefighters. We ask you to protect them, to provide for them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And may there always be faithful, Christ-centered chaplains uh, serving firefighters, our first responders in the military, and bless every pastor as he fulfills his calling. We ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to listeners, if you have any questions, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, based on Song of Songs, Chapter 6, or any of the Song of Songs, or give us a call, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. And President Buss told me that he is really good at answering questions off the cuff. So here is your opportunity <laughs> to ask those questions off the cuff for him. He wants it, he needs it, and here's your opportunity to give it to him. So 314-821-0850. So, Pastor Pastor Buss, we are. You're welcome. I know this is a, you know, and and one of the things is that you know in Bible study you always have like that guy or that gal that want to ask you a question that you clearly will not know, but they keep asking every <laughs> single time. And so I want to give you that opportunity once again to have that guy or gal to ask the question again. Plus, I don't have to answer. I'll just hand it off to you and it's going to work out great. So anyways, send us an email. It's humble, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. It truly does. Um, Pastor, as we look at Song of Solomon chapter six, really the whole book is one of those you don't typically study in Bible study, something you don't typically say, I'm going to now read Song of Songs. So as we look at chapter six, how do you want to start us off on the right foot? Well, it is rather interesting. As I was preparing, I went to look and see whether Song of Songs was referenced at all in the Lutheran Confessions, and there was nothing there. But uh, obviously, our, our church fathers had a lot to say about it and its richness, and there's kind of a superficial reading. And uh, But as you dig deeper, you see the richness and uh, the rich Christology 
that's uh, in it. I uh, know that Pastor Fleming spoke yesterday and appreciated uh, what he was talking about. We had Pastor Crown last week, who was a classmate mm-hmm. of mine, so uh, oh, yeah. I'm among some great people. So uh, I was just amazed at the delight that is in Song of Songs that I think sometimes we forget. The delight in marriage, the delight in manhood and womanhood, and uh, that God, through the church and his Holy Spirit, made sure that this book got to be a part of uh, the canonical scriptures. And uh, it's it's different compared to everything else, which makes it rather rich and uh, and challenging. Yes, we've had a number of those challenging moments, for sure, as we've been studying this. And it, But I love how you said that, the high Christology that how could you not read this and see Christ? And this is why we talk continuously on KFUO to put on our Christ goggles, especially here on Thy Strong Word. Uh, and that can be quite challenging uh, to be able to see the Christology as we look at this. And so uh, that's my challenge to you, our listeners, to pray. One, when we read the scriptures, that you're able to see Christ and not always understanding it completely. Pastor, is there anything else you want to look at for chapter six specifically today, themes or ideas as we start off? Well, um, as chapter five, we saw how the the bride delighted in her husband and her beloved and describes his body. So in this chapter, we have uh, Solomon delighting in his bride. Mm. And uh, I think that uh, there's nothing prudish about Song of Songs. And uh, maybe sometimes in the church, we become so prudish that people think that uh, we don't view the gift of marriage and uh, husband and wife and sexuality is a gift truly given by God. And uh, that we all know that marriages face its challenges, but uh, to see the best in each other. And what I noticed is that uh, the husband and the wife here, the, the beloved, they're not there to compete with each other, but they're truly there to complete each other as a husband and wife do in their marriage. My wife completes me in ways that uh, um, I I think about the song, you know, thank God for unanswered prayers. Well, of course, there's no unanswered prayers, but I'm grateful that God saw the right woman for me because she has helped me in amazing ways, and probably on a good day, I help her as well. So uh, there's a lot of, like I said, a lot of richness in this chapter and uh, a lot of beauty and and some stunning things that I know we're going to discuss. Hmm. Yeah, and I can't I can't wait for that. And I do I do encourage our listeners and encourage President Boss and I is the language that's used here, I think ask the question, how can we use that language for our spouse? Or how can we encourage others to use that language for their spouse as well? Because if you see the rhetoric on TV, um, unfortunately in my life I've I've been able to watch some TikTok videos. It's been awful, but some reason it's so addicting. If you, I don't know, President Buzz, you ever go on TikTok and watch some of those videos? I have. Yes, I have. This is my confession for the day. <laughs> it's a confession, I know. And and you and you read those and the and it's it's most of it is just kind of fun. I mean, most of it's just kind of a fun short snippet and some of it's not and I'm not I'm not at all endorsing it. But it is something like that is the rhetoric we we see. That's the rhetoric we have. The movies that we watch or those um, romantic books that, that people will read or whatever. That's the rhetoric. And that's kind of what forms us in many ways. This is why Song of Songs, I think, is very important for us to form us. 
and how we should speak about our spouse. And at the same time, that we should speak about the church and how we should see the church mm. and how to see it through the lens of Christ. So that's just my encouragement as we hear these words. Don't be a prude. Um, don't be you know, crazy either. But also we want to be able to bring out the joy of marriage as President Buss has told us. So, Pastor, I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. So reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Song of Solomon, chapter 6. We'll just do verse 1. The words of the others. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? So there's some poetic language that happens here, and it's it's always interesting to me to look at the insertion of the others. It's just kind of this kind of random thought. And I wanted to check with you, is there anything you have on, on that first verse and how that all pulls everything together? Well, it's rather interesting. And, uh, you know, we live in a culture where it seems like many times people are trying to pull each other down to denigrate each other. And yet the others here um, understand the very special role that uh, the wife has, that the Shulamite woman has, you know, they describe her as the most beautiful woman, woman, and uh, that uh, they understand that this woman has a beloved who is uh, Solomon. And uh, they also offer to help her find him. And it's rather interesting how some commentaries view that. I mean, there's probably kind of a snarky way of looking at Song of Songs that uh, brings out the worst in people, and marriage and sexuality, but uh, we know obviously that uh, there's something beautiful and best, and they want to help her find the beloved. And uh, I couldn't help but think about, you know, that passage in Isaiah, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while while he is near. And that, Mm. uh, you know, we really find out who our friends are, by the way, when they will help us seek out what's good, what's right, and uh, what belongs to us. And so putting the best construction on this, um, they want to help her. And, uh, you know, the best of life is when women help each other, men help each other, and vice versa, and fulfill the the callings that each of us have, not to to pull down, but to to lift up. And um, obviously, uh, the Spirit of God works in us so that we do seek the Lord. Um, You know, He seeks us. But we also have that, uh, you know, spirit-led desire to seek the Lord because our, our lives are empty without him, without uh, that relationship with, with him. And I definitely I have a feel for this where it is a um, the, the community of believers of sorts, too, the church, that the church calls each other together um, to be together. As, as Christ and, and the church are, are, you know, are united, that the people within this church call each other to stay together. And what a beautiful thing that is for the church when we encourage one another, when there's obviously issues that we're there for one another, um, to, to stick, stick with Christ as the Lord sticks with us. I mean, this is, a, mm-hmm. I, to me, I also see this as a, a call to the church um, to be united around him. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we've all probably experienced the church at its worst and uh, the disappointing things that we have. But we remember that as, you know, we're going to see here that the church is the bride of Christ, and that as a community of believers, uh, we do have a responsibility uh, toward each other and for each other. And uh, we probably need to rediscover that. I was thinking as you were talking earlier, Pastor, that, you know, the world ultimately gives us a dead end, whether it's Mm -hmm. TikTok videos or movies, and uh, that if the church can kind of raise up that higher vision, 
of uh, our purpose, our God-given purpose, that we are both soul and body created by God, and that we are alive at this time for his purpose, and that we get to seek the Lord together, knowing that uh, the Lord is going to find us ultimately. Um, and I think maybe we saw some of the heartaches after of the pandemic, where there was less community, less community even in the church. And I think we've discovered, even as a district president, I've discovered how valuable the community is when we get together and we encourage each other in things that are good and holy, because the devil uses loneliness and isolation in just some terrible ways. And that's something that is, we, we've seen this obviously during COVID and, and, and trying to trying to navigate these, these crazy waters as a church, but not gathering together as a church. And that's something where we, like you said, the body of Christ coming together as, as, as Christ and his bride, that it goes so far beyond just, I come to church, sit in the pews and leave. And sometimes it's hard for me to see, because I guess I kind of work, work in the world, but it's amazing to me that when certain people have seen each other for the first time in almost a year, then when they get together, I mean, it's like a huge party for some of these folks. They get together and you have to kick them out, turn off the lights and, and say, okay, if you're going to, just as long as you leave, um, I'm going to lock all the doors and you let me know, you know, just, just leave when you can. That's kind of what's happened at our church quite a bit. But there, that goes beyond just, oh, it's nice to have a conversation. It is that encouragement in the faith. It's that unity in Christ. It's that relationship that to there to be encouraging one another. And that others aspect of this, which I hadn't thought about before you brought this up, Pastor, is that that's that other parts of this where we gather together as a body of Christ. I, now I'm just thinking about that post-COVID or during COVID or, or where we are right now and the need for that. Any other thoughts to expand on that? Well, and I'm thinking about people who haven't come back to church for whatever the reason. And I, those who study this say, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a percentage that are never going to come back. And, you know, we can sit back and lament it. Um, probably in our district, attendance is anywhere from 50% to 90% um, pre-COVID. And yet, mm -hmm. you know, how do we show to those who haven't come back that we know that uh, they do matter, that they are missing out on something, even if they're watching services online, that that's not the same. And that uh, flesh and blood, even if you just see it, is not just seen on a screen, but in person and uh, handshake, fist bumps or whatever. Um, we, we do have that obligation just on our own to, to build community as best we can, because uh, Jesus is all about it. We, we are in this together. I mean, it's not just a political phrase, but it truly represents who the church is. Well, Pastor, let's continue to move on because verses two and three, I thought are vital to the rest of our reading today and, and reminds us of identity. And we hear from, 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 the, from the Shulamite woman once again. So verses two and three. My beloved has gone down to his garden to the bed of spices, beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. Pastor, my first thought on this was, was this Solomon's man cave um, back in the day? Or is there something more to be said on this? What are your thoughts? That is a really good way to look at it. Uh, we all need it. <laughs> we all have our place where we try to get away. Um, you know, consider our thoughts, what's going on. Sometimes, um, you know, Jesus went alone by himself, and he probably, Solomon needed to be alone by himself, the pressures of uh, life, and to uh, maybe to enjoy the beauty of creation. I mean, we have lilies uh, mentioned a couple of times in the text, 
and the bed of spices, obviously garden. And, you know, when you think about gardens in the scriptures, uh, you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And then you have Adam and Eve thrown out of the Garden of Eden. But, you know, you have the richness of that. Um, obviously, you think about Isaiah and you have the wilderness or the children of Israel in the wilderness, not quite a garden. And then when we think about uh, our Lord Jesus, um, as he uh, hits the climax of his work and ministry, you know, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, the resurrection is uh, Jesus is in the garden tomb, and then he meets uh, the women in the garden. And uh, then the Bible right. um, ends with uh, that perfect garden, too. So there is some richness to that whole garden imagery. And I was thinking also about the thief on the cross. You know, today you will be with me in, in paradise, which is that perfect garden in the presence of God. So um, there's a lot there. It's probably his man cave. You know, we all probably have a place that we get away. So... That, yeah, and that's, you know, I, I can't help but think about the, a lot of people here in the state of Minnesota love their gardens and their flowers, because, you know, we have like a month in order to enjoy them um, up in the northern <laughs> states, and so they love it, and I and I don't particularly get into it, but I do enjoy um, walking through gardens, there's a number of big ones around here in the St. Cloud area, and there's something just beautiful, like that you can even gather that she yearns to be with her beloved and she's envisioning him, well, in a good place, that he's in a good place. He's, he's the, the, the smells, the bells, if you will, of all of it that gathers there. She yearns to be with him, but also she, she puts him, I guess you say, in God's hands. That was another perspective that I read about this. Um, and so there's this kind of a unique dynamic, I would say, of us being here and waiting for Christ to return. Like you said, that final uh, consummation, the final resurrection, that we wait here, but we know that there's something better yet to come. Or we wait here and those loved ones who came before us who are now with Christ, we we give thanks, we yearn to be with them, but yet we're, we know they're in a good place. It's an interesting connection that I read um, from verse 2 that I hadn't thought about either. Any thoughts? Well, I have to admit that when you talked about not enjoying gardens like maybe some of the people you serve or in your community, I... <laughs> Last year, a couple of years ago, I went in Arizona with my wife, and she says, oh, let's go to the botanical, botanical gardens. Yeah, and we yeah. went there as a good, obedient husband, and she was absolutely thrilled by what she was seeing. And after about a half hour, I was, I was done with it. And uh, <laughs> as a good husband, I, I let her teach me what I could teach. But, uh, you know, oh, we got to give a little ourselves in for the beauty that other people uh uh, see, and oh, uh, so that's too funny. That's, that's another too funny. confession for the day. <laughs> I, I love it. I just keep the confessions coming. TikTok, um, not enjoying flowers. We'll see what comes next. And of course, you have quoted Garth Brooks once, so I'm keeping a tally of other country singers that you will quote for today. <laughs> Verse three, Pastor, I you know, it says, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. When I heard this, when I read this, I could not help but think of the, the great hymn, Chief of Sinners Though I Be, as the branches to the vine, I am his and he is mine. That, mm. That's the first thing that came up in my mind. First, among a couple, that we do belong to one another. And I have to remember this as my wife, that we're not just autonomous, separate units. We are one flesh. And then secondly, this connects us to our relationship with the Lord, that we say that I am his and he is mine is a very good, I think, oneness that we see in the body of Christ and relationship with the Lord, too. Any thoughts on verse 3? Yeah, well, I thought about 
you know, the covenant that God had with his people in the Old Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people, Mm -hmm. which was uh, his choosing them. And it's actually interesting that earlier in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 16, um, it's inverted here. So chapter 2, verse 16 says, my beloved is mine and I am his. And here she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. And uh, to think Mm -hmm. that a rich relationship will grow. I, I think about my wife and I, when we were dating and, you know, all the plans and all the dreams and what we weren't going to do and, you know, fall into the habits and life comes and you get busy at kids. But, you know, the ultimate goal of a marriage is that um, you grow, you deepen, you deepen in your commitment with each other. Um, a lot of times that growth comes through challenging experiences where you lean on each other. And uh, so I, I sense maybe here, as we look toward the latter part of the book, that there's a maturity that's happened, that, uh, you know, this isn't kind of the puppy love we have or that initial attraction, but this is a, a deeper love and an intimate love that, that grows and, and flourishes. Or, you know, we've all seen where, where it doesn't. It's stunted and, um, you know, uh, sometimes Difficult things happen there, but I sense there's a deepening of the relationship, and obviously the Lord has a covenant with his people, and marriage is a covenant, and a covenant Mm. blessed by God. This is something that's really interesting. In our church here at Messiah Lutheran in Sartell, uh, the tagline, I guess we say, mission statement, uh, says, growing in Christ, sharing his love. Which I, I, I still I, I, just, I, I love it and and the beginning part is always an interesting dynamic because growing in Christ that idea of growing in our relationship with the Lord kind of gets us a little bit nervous as, as Lutherans you know because we we know that our Lord claims us it's all His work not our own but yet we do grow in our um in in faith we do grow in our understanding of the Lord we do grow as it does in a marriage covenant any. Any thoughts you have on that? We have about a minute before our break, Pastor. I, the dynamic of being ones that are claimed, it's God's work, it's all done on the cross, but yet we still grow in faith. Any thoughts? Well, the Holy Spirit makes the unwilling willing. And uh, so, you know, the Spirit of God at work in us, uh, sometimes it happens through the experiences that we have. You know, I think about Luther and Oratio, Meditatio and Tentatio, that where real growth um, happens. And uh, while the Lord brings us to faith, you know, in our Christian life, the, the Spirit of God causes us to, uh, to uh, do the things that cause growth, to meditate on the Lord's Word and His promises. And that's where, you know, that's why we do what we do here and on Thy Strong Word, to continually make sure people are in the Word, um, continually supporting uh, the work of ministry in their local congregations, their districts, their synod, and around the world, pointing our eyes to Christ. But right now, we need to take our break. We are studying Song of Songs, Chapter 6, with Pastor Alan Buss, and we'll be right back. KFUO is a listener-supported radio ministry that needs your support to continue. When you partner with KFUO, you are proclaiming Christ worldwide. November 30th is Giving Tuesday, a day that encourages you to give back in whatever ways you can. 
Giving Tuesday presents a perfect time each year for you to support your favorite nonprofit organizations, including KFUO Radio. To give to KFUO, call 314-996-1518 or text KFUO to the number 41444 or give online at kfuo.org. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. And welcome back. We are studying Song of Songs, Chapter 6, with Pastor Alan Buss. And, and President Buss, we, I was going to talk about a little bit beforehand, but we didn't. And so we will call you District President Buss or President Buss. And, you know, in the Lutheran, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we have a title of District President. Tell us, what does that mean to the normal layperson or normal person on the street? What, how would you describe it to them? Well, in one way, you can describe what a district president does is like a bishop or an overseer. Uh, the Northern Illinois District has 200 congregations, 90 schools, uh, hundreds and hundreds of church workers. And so we have ecclesiastical responsibilities to care for our workers, to hold congregations and workers accountable um, for the clear proclamation of the word and right administration of the sacraments. And also, I think, encouraging that the mission of Jesus is done in our area. And uh, there are 35 districts in, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, two of them non-geographical. And uh, there's a group called the Council of Presidents, which is the district presidents as well as the elected uh, synodical president and the vice presidents of synod who gather and do the work of the church, kind of an overall view of uh, ecclesial matters, encouragement, um, we spend time in Bible study. Some of our richest time is in Bible study. And I think we get to bear each other's burdens. And uh, you know, the pandemic reminded us we need community in our congregation. And I think the pandemic reminded us that we are stronger as a church body when we are working together, serving together, bearing each other's burdens, and also holding each other accountable. So I like to go to our congregations. Uh, uh, when I <clears throat> took on this role, I asked a long-serving district president, how do you do this? Because I've never done it before. And he says, just show up. And uh, <laughs> so it's a great privilege to, you know, you, know, you don't have to be too smart to show up and know that you care about people and uh, um, encourage them, challenge them, and remind them about the mission of Jesus in the congregation as well in the community and the world. Well, and that's a reminder, it's a call for us as, as as your people, God's people, and for you, our listeners, to pray for a district president. It can be kind of confusing. Um, if you live in the United States, check out who is your district president. Pray for him as he serves in this capacity. At the same time, we pray for their strength and them to be faithful. And as he said, just so they show up um, might be the, the biggest, one of the biggest struggles. So we pray for them as they continue to serve in his name. Uh, President Buss, we are have gone through the first three verses, and we'll go through a number of dynamics here in the next few verses. But as one, make sure, is there anything else you wanted to cover in those first three? I think we pretty well uh, covered it. I All right, let's I'm keep good. moving. If you're good, I'm let's good. Keep, I'm good. Let's do it. We continue on as we hear from Solomon as he delights in his bride and uses wonderful language in the tapestry, I would say, of what that looks like. Verse 4. 
You are beautiful as Tirzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats, leaping down on the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like the flock of ewes, and you have come upon from the washing all of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. Now, I want to stop there because he's really painting a picture of his bride. Um, where do you want to begin as he, as I said, paints a tapestry, a vision of how he sees his wife? Well, I thought about when my wife gets home from school today to say, your hair looks like a flock of goats leaping on the slopes of Gilead. <laughs> but I think it's she time. might have had a long day. <laughs> oh, he, he, you know, he compliments her. And I think that probably both husbands and wives need compliments. He sees her beauty, her outer beauty. And he also is going to see that inner beauty that, that comes from Christ and uh, that, you know, we are made clean. And it's very easy the longer you're married or maybe, you know, once the honeymoon's over to start seeing the faults and the flaws and the things that aren't quite right with your partner. And uh, but, you know, here he sees her beauty and describes it in ways that we probably wouldn't today. But maybe we need to uh, uh, when we talk to our spouses, um, you know, lift them up by the God-given features, talents, abilities that uh, they have been given. And that we know that, um, you know, husbands and wives were given for each other. As the Apostle Paul says, you know, your body doesn't belong to your, yourself. It, it belongs to your spouse, too. And um, uh, to, to point out those things that are admirable and uh, beautiful along the way. And we see that image in beautiful ways. Tirzah, which is in northern Israel, which would have been a very beautiful place. Lovely as Jerusalem, clearly Jerusalem when it is at its best, not when it's been destroyed. Um, awesome as an army with banners. You think about just visions that you'll have of an army and the banners that will maybe be at the beginning of that, that it's not a thing of beauty per se, but it is a majesty to it. I'm not exactly sure how to describe that one. Um, and he even says, turn your eyes away from me for they overwhelm me, which just tells you about how much he enjoys his wife's eyes, which is something that, you know, we need to probably do quite a bit as well. And then the hair, like you said, will I use that language? I don't know. The teeth, the cheeks, <laughs> going down the whole list of, of, of his wife. And maybe it might have been something where these were things that she was insecure about. And he wanted her to know exactly how he felt about those parts that the Lord had given to her of her body. Um, and so it really, like I said, creates a tapestry. Then the question I have here, Pastor, is we always will say that this shows an indication of God's love for the church. Someone's sitting in your mm -hmm. Bible class and they're like, um, so cheeks, uh, cheeks like pomegranates? How does that relate to Jesus's view of us in the church? What, what would you say? Well, I would say you take the picture and you don't have to focus on every detail. He's pointing out her beauty. <laughs> and, and I think that we need to point out also the beauty of the church. I mean, Ephesians chapter five, that she's holy and blameless. And that we, as God's people, who we not only value our Lord Jesus Christ, but we value his body, the church. And in a world that isn't enthralled with the church, and we've all been disappointed by the church, to, to see the beautiful body that the church is. Um, I always like to say as a pastor, 
we love the church because Jesus loved the church. We will never love the church more than Jesus does, but we love it because he loved it and he, he died for it. And you have all that rich imagery of what husbands are willing to do for their wives as Christ did the church. And yet the church is in awe of the groom. The church is in awe of Jesus uh, because he's the greatest gift and he's what gives us our value and our dignity, and see the church with all its flaws and failures. We got to see the church as Jesus sees it. And this reminds me of, you know, we talk here when we're looking at the Bible to put on our Christ goggles. Now I'm thinking that we probably need to challenge ourselves that when we enter the church, the body of Christ, we need to put our Christ goggles on there too, because as you mentioned, we can easily nitpick to the point of, well, that's dumb, or this is, this is weird, or, I don't want anything to do with that. But to put on the Christ goggles, we're able to see the gifts and abilities and the blessings that we have in the church. Now, President Buss, as you travel a lot, see a bunch of different churches, can you can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of some of the beauties that you've seen in the church uh, throughout your district and probably the Senate and world? Um, yeah, I, I tell you, I, I have seen the beauty of our lay people. Um, sometimes they see, you know, some of the directions the church is going, you know, some of the struggles. But I see a lot of committed people, men and women, who, who love their church. Um, sometimes they're not sure what to do if there's, you know, an issue. Um, obviously, there's so many faithful pastors out there. And um, I think to see the beauty beyond the local congregation. Um, one of our challenges in Northern Illinois has been to say, how do we create partnerships between congregations so that you can admire the beauty of the congregation down the road? You don't have to go there. And you don't have to, you know, compare yourself, but see the beauty and know the beauty. And years ago, you know, if you'd install a new pastor, people would come from congregation to congregation. We've lost some of that. And I lament that, you know, we have congregations that are five miles away from each other. The pastors don't know each other and uh, the lay people don't know each other. And I think that's to our loss, that the church is bigger than the local congregation. It's it's bigger than Northern Illinois District. It's, the church is bigger than the LCMS, but we are involved in it, and, and we are stronger together, and that we can do things together. Our district is doing mission work in Belize, and uh, <clears throat> one of the reasons why we're doing this, some of our congregations are deeply involved, but some congregations are missing out on being involved beyond, you know, their inside the walls, that we see our community as a mission field, that we see inside the congregation mission field, and we see that bigger mission field. And that's one of the great things about being a part of a church body like the LCMS. Well, thank you for showing us that. And like I said, I encourage our listeners to, um, and to me, I mean, and President Buss is like, okay, Lord, give us those Christ goggles as we travel through the church to be able to see not uh, not all the issues, which are clearly there, but to see it without spot or blemish as our Lord, by his blood, has made us perfect in his sight. So let's continue on, verses 8 through 10. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. The only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines also, and they praised her. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? So so we kind of have a, um, well, it turns in a different direction here. He starts looking outside, <laughs> outside himself, and almost, is he comparing other women to his wife? I don't know. How would you describe this verses 8 through 10? 
Well, we know that Solomon, uh, while he was uh, a type of Christ in the Old Testament, Solomon as a human being uh, struggled with uh, polygamy, and uh, it was to his detriment. Um, but as a matter of fact, as I was preparing, I think it's uh, Dr. Mitchell talked about, you know, that perhaps this was written earlier in his mm-hmm. reign because there's only uh, only 60 queens and 80 concubines and oh, virgins nice. without number is everybody who wanted to be Solomon's wife. So we know that toward the end of his life, his 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 relational life was a mess. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, you know, the Lord still used him, which is amazing and wonderful, a sign of his grace and mercy toward, toward sinners. Uh, but that, you know, there's a special one and that uh, the special one, he knows it. And actually everybody else knows that she's the special one. And not only is she special to, to Solomon, but she's actually special to her mother. We found out earlier that she's, she's got brothers who didn't, you know, had some thoughts about all her work. I think in chapter one, it was, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but, they they see this young woman as blessed, and and they praise her. I couldn't help but think about Proverbs thirty one, and that woman. You know that people praise her for who she is, and who she's been made, and that she fears the Lord. And so, as you look at that, it ends with a question, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on that because that's one that kind of it's just like, wait, how does this, this, this happens quite a bit with Solomon in in probably all of his works? Is is kind of like there's times he ends, and you're like, are you asking a question, or is this a poetic thing, or are you giving a statement? I'm not sure. Um, who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as a moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? What is he saying in verse ten? What are your thoughts? Well, I actually think it's interesting that we have this banners mentioned, and we also have it mentioned in verse 4. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe that uh, the the church fathers, you know, kind of they viewed it. I, I guess I've diverted from your question a little bit, but, you know, that <laughs> the, the, church, <laughs> the pastors would never change the subject, would they? Never, never. Uh, but, but, you know, that there is a sense in which the church is at war. The, the church militant, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and that there is the conflict that uh, we have with a with a sinful and evil world that that sometimes uh, wears us out. So I think there was a great comparison between verse four and verse ten. But back to your question, that this woman, this uh, chosen one, um, you know, she's got some really special qualities. She she has a, a celestial glory to her. And, you know, we think about the church. The church has a celestial glory because it's been given to her. I, I couldn't help but think about some of the things that Jesus talks about when he talks about uh, the end times um, with, you know, the moon and the stars. And you think about Genesis chapter 1. She has this special role. Um, there's a radiance about her. And I think that uh, probably all of us husbands should see the radiance of our wives, the one one that God has given to us, and that she has a dignity and glory that has given, been given to her by God. And uh, I, I think this is part of wisdom literature. A good question is really good for all of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, that right. we, think through, we think through this woman, we think through the women in our lives, and, and wives think through the men, the man, mm-hmm. and the men, I think, that God has given to you. And that's where... It kind of goes like this, where who is this with all the beautiful qualities that she has to look down upon me 
you know, with, with uh, love, with joy. And I think that, I think I can't help but think verse 10 also points us to Christ. Who is Christ that mm. he would do so much for me? You know, who am I? There's so many of the Lenten hymns, and I'm looking forward to Lent already, you know, it's Advent, but there's so many Lenten hymns that kind of says, my song is love unknown, my Savior's love for me, you know, to the loveless that I might lovely be. I mean, this that kind of language is that, who is who is God to love me? And he's saying, who, who am I to be loved by her? I mean, he even admits the concubines and the queens and everything else. And yet he she loves him. Is that am I on the right track on that, uh, Pastor? Uh, I think so. And, you know, here's yeah. Solomon, who uh, got a little big for his britches, as we say in Wisconsin, in his life. <laughs> but but he sees her as a gift. And there's a sense of humility there that he's got all these other, you know, distractions. But she's the one, and it, it shows God's marvelous grace. Um, uh, and and <laughs> when I was a parish pastor, and I would say, my wife is better than I deserve. And yeah. the ladies in the ladies' guild would say, yes, she is far better than you deserve. <laughs> and and uh, I, w- I wouldn't want to say that too often to my wife, but, uh, you know, but she is better than I deserve. She's a gift. Yeah. And our spouses are a gift, and our and the church is a gift, and, and certainly the greatest gift is the one that came down from heaven, our Lord Jesus, the greatest gift we have. And, you know, uh, my Savior's love to thee. I mean, it's just, it's just exactly what we what we see in Christ. Let's continue to move on here, Pastor. We have about uh, just under 10 minutes left in our time. As we hear from the Shulamite woman, verses 11 and 12. I went down to the nut orchard to look at the blossoms of the valley, to see whether the vines had budded, whether the pomegranates were in bloom, before I was aware, my desire set me among the chariots of my kingsman, a prince. So, there, there, like I said, there's a lot of gardens here. I, now we have the nut orchard, which I don't think is a man cave in this situation. Um, but she definitely is seeing beauty, um, seeing all of this that goes out. And then she thinks about her kingsman. What, what is, what's happening here? Well, when you reflect... I mean, you know, we, we get away, we reflect, and um, we reflect on life, maybe where we've been, where we're are, where we're going, and uh, we probably do that best in in creation, getting away from technology, getting away from our busyness, getting away from our stuff, and, and truly enjoying the blossoms of the valley. I remember when our oldest son, Josiah, was little, you know, walking down the street, and and having him stop and, you know, be mesmerized by a dandelion. And I, and I think maybe we've lost some of that. And so she finds herself here enjoying creation. But uh, one of the best gifts she has, of course, is uh, my, my kinsman, my prince. And before I was aware, my desire set among, uh, it's rather, so I'm going to enjoy creation, but then I'm going to zero in on one of God's creation which would be the man that, that God had chosen for her and, and her for him. So that's what I see there. And, and obviously this whole, we can maybe going to take us into talking about the chariot and what that all means. Mm-hmm. Um, you're wanting to do that right now? No, you're the boss. <laughs> I don't have much on the chariots. Uh, I really don't. I, some trust in chariots and anyways, oh. um, I don't have much, I don't have much on the chariots here, but she definitely, it's interesting because you do have those moments in life 
where you are in a certain place, maybe who knows what this nut orchard was to her. We obviously have this imagery of, of going among God's creation, the beauty of that, which we can't help but, as you said, think about the garden and eternity that we will one day be part of again. So you kind of yearning some of that, but also it just pops into your mind. You know what? I do miss my wife. I do miss this person. I do miss my husband. And she just wants him to to arrive, which obviously points us to, as we wait for the return of Christ, that we realize that this life is not perfect, that this life is not what we want, that it's a groaning among creation, and we wait for our kingdom redeemer to return. That, that'd be the connection I would make. What are your thoughts? Well, I'm thinking about, you know, kind of, I think uh, Dr. Mitchell talks about, you know, the, the role reversal. Uh-huh. So here is this woman who's really unimportant. She's from an unimportant town. And yet uh, she is the beloved. And she is now in the chariot. You think about the king's chariot. You think about, oh, you know, Pharaoh's chariot, um, that the one who was humbled is exalted. And in amongst the fact that she's got a lot of competition. You know, you have uh, that list that we 60 queens and 80 concubines and the virgins without number that everybody wants Solomon. He's the thing. And yet she's the one that uh, is exalted and lifted up and uh, specifically chosen. And there's obviously a lot of grace there, a lot of God's choosing. You know, God chose us before the creation of the world. And and who were we but poor, miserable sinners deserving of God's wrath and punishment? And uh, here she is. And you think about the chariots. Um, uh, well, Elijah is taken off in a chariot right. to right. glory. And you know, think about Enoch, you know, who was taken up and, and walked with God. And so here's she's taken up to a role that she didn't choose for herself, but was given to her by God through, through Solomon. And so uh, I, I think there's something probably very, very rich about that. She's she's a part of she's a part of royalty now. And and so are so is every Christian, you know, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You think about uh, uh, the the simplicity, the humility of churches. And yet the church is the bride of Christ um, that, you know, we live our lives even as though we struggle being on the winning side. And there's something there's something marvelous about that. It's, it really wasn't up to her. It was up to her being a part of God's plan and being chosen. That's very helpful, uh, President Buss, because you look at that, you, you totally see that being chosen. You know, you are a, a chosen race, as you mentioned in First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, chosen race, a royal priesthood, that he or she is, that she has nothing to bring. I mean, nothing to bring to this. She is just simply a Shulamite woman. Obviously, he sees her as great and amazing and beautiful in every which way. Um, but she doesn't really deserve it. Um, but yet he loves her and puts her in a place of royalty. I mean, how could I guess I didn't catch that from this. So thank you for uh, that connection that Dr. Mitchell shows us here today that um, and that's and that's each one of us. Now, Pastor, as you, in that realm, we do live in a very anxious time and, and struggles with identity. You know, who am I? You know, what am I doing? Uh, body and and then, and then this is a great book for for body image issues that that mm-hmm. men and women you know, can have and and here we're obviously very much so uplifted by that but why well how would you encourage someone with this language of that he places us in a chariot of royalty 
um, how would you encourage uh, our listeners and other people um, with that relationship with the Lord? We have to quit listening to the world and actually be in the word and, and hear how God describes us and God gives us our identity. And I think we, something I learned years ago is you are who you hang around with. And if you're going to hang around, you know, you hang around with people who degrade you or have a non-biblical view of uh, your maleness, your femaleness, your, your purpose in life, it's going to pull you down. And that we need to hear those better voices. You know, you think about John the baptizer and, and the voice that, that God gave to him to uh, speak the word, to, to give people a, a God-given identity. And I, I think even in my own life, my own ministry, maybe you've experienced this too, you know, you, you can't keep everybody happy. You don't please everybody. And the good thing is we're not called to be people pleasers. We're, we're called to live our vocation, our calling when it's hard. We're, we're called to carry our cross and that um, the theme of our convention in Northern Illinois district this coming March is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And uh, I have to say that, you know, restudying Song of Songs has helped me dig more deeply into something that I probably wouldn't as much have, uh, but that the church is the best and I'm my best when the word of Christ is dwelling in re richly. And of course that happens as we hear the word, as we personally study the word. And, and obviously we think about the visible word as Christ comes to us in his body and blood and, and he fills us and he heals us. Um, he's our, ser- he's, he's our, ser- he's God's servant and he's our servant. He's the healer and our mender. And uh, so many times we see what's broken, uh, but we need to see, each other through the eyes of Jesus. And I think when we look in the mirror, we can look at our imperfections or we see ourselves and say, this, I'm a baptized child of God, and he has given me a beauty on the outside and on the inside. Let's continue to the end as we have a few minutes left. We hear from the others. Return, return, O Shulamite. Return, return, that we may look upon you. Why should you look upon, and he says, why should you look upon the Shulamite as upon a dance before two armies? Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time. The ending here is quite interesting. Return, return, and then there's a question once again at the end. How would you summarize these last two verses? Well, it is interesting, by the way. This is the first time, as as I studied, that she's called a Shulamite. Yeah, right. And, yep. um, and that, you know, it's interesting that the others— want to look on her, on her beauty. And, and maybe they're wondering, you know, who is she that, you know, she's the beloved of the king. And, uh, you know, uh, you are who you hang around with. And, and maybe they have sensed that there's something special about her, her outer beauty and her inner beauty, that we don't want to lose it. And um, I, I am perplexed a little bit, I must admit, about the dance, the two armies at the end. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I didn't get a good answer on that one. That's why I was really hoping that our beloved <laughs> district president of Northern Illinois had a great insight that would just blow our minds at the end. <laughs> so, so let's do this, President Buss. With 30 seconds left, how would you summarize this chapter for us today? Well, we need to uh, seek the Lord while he may be found. And uh, we get to live out our identity And thanks be to God that he has chosen us to be his people and that uh, we see the beauty of the church and we see the beauty, the the Christ-like beauty in the people around us who are the people of God. 
to uh, take note of that beauty, to express the beauty, actually to say it. And um, I think also to remember that the church is uh, dearly loved and dearly chosen with all her afflictions, and so are you. That every one of us is dearly loved and chosen. Chosen in baptism, the Lord called out our name. He adopted us into his family, and that we're here on purpose. And even though these are challenging times, um, this is our time. And uh, as we think about with Esther for such a time as this, to speak the word and uh, to rejoice in the promises of Jesus, even during this uh, Advent time. And, and the Lord has a chariot for us, too, and uh, a Pastor, place of glory that he's prepared. Pastor Alan Buss, District President of the Northern Illinois District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, giving us God's strong word from Song of Songs, Chapter 6. Pastor Buss, it's been a joy. It's been an honor. Thank you for the gifts. Thank you. Thanks for what you're doing. Really appreciate it. God bless you. Saints of our Lord, uh, I am his and he is mine. That's our identity in Christ. Put on your Christ goggles, not only during our time of studying the word, but also when we go to the church. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. <laughs>